Well, if you could keep your Bibles open to the book of Colossians as we continue through this book. And what we're learning really every week is Jesus Christ is sufficient for all of our needs. It's Christ plus nothing. And yet what we also learn from this book is like the believers in Colossae, we are all tempted to add something to Jesus. Christ isn't really enough. We need, we need, we need to, yeah, okay, Christ is, yeah, he died and rose again. That's important. We believe that. But then we add things, things to do. I think the Princeton area is you're kind of a, a doer class of people. I mean, you like to think too. Sometimes you like to think more than you like to do, but you like to do. And we add to Jesus, or we don't think that Jesus is quite enough. And when we do that, like the Colossian believers, when we do that, we, we get off track. We short circuit, I think, what God would want to do in our lives through Jesus Christ. Last week, I thought Pastor Andrew very skillfully showed us that the goal of our work here at Stonehill Church is to help believers become mature in Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do. That's a lot of work to do, don't you think? In other words, the church is not fundamentally about the building, although we're grateful for this building. It's not simply about the budget, although we're grateful for God's provision. It's not about the numbers of people. It's about helping each of us become more like Jesus Christ. That is what we are attempting to do through the power of God to see all of us become more like Jesus Christ. And that, I think can become problematic for us if we do not see that Jesus Christ is all that we need to make progress in walking with him. When we start to think that we can add to what Jesus did on the cross, or we somehow think we've got to do a whole bunch of things, and we got this big list of to-dos and don'ts, and we start to rely on that rather than Christ, we short-circuit what God would want to do in us and through us, through Jesus Christ, plus nothing else. And so what I want us to see in these 15 verses in Colossians 2, is I want us to see foundationally what we need to believe about Jesus. This text is less about what you're going to do. It's a lot about what Jesus Christ has done. And the real issue for us is, can we embrace more fully, more consistently, more comprehensively what Christ has done? Because that's the foundation of walking with Christ. In a very real sense, for those of you who like grammar, this is an indicative kind of a sermon. This is, these are truths that Paul just outlines for us. Things we need to believe. And it's really important for us to get that straight before we start to obey some of the commands that flow out of who we already are in Christ. The imperatives, which Paul will get to in Colossians 3. But the imperatives, absent believing the indicatives, leads to a form of legalism or works-based approach to the Christian life, which is not the way the Christian life was designed to be. 
So let me walk you through four different elements, things you simply need to believe, really, that are foundational to helping you become more like Jesus Christ, to, to mature in Christ. So let's look at the first element, and it's this. The full understanding of Jesus Christ takes place in community. Paul's just going to state this fact in verses 1 through 3. Notice what Paul says in verse 1. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face, have not seen me face to face. Paul is acknowledging that in his desire to see these believers who he has never met, he is in agony in prayer for them. He's in agony wanting them to become like Jesus Christ. This is the, the, the passion that he has as he addresses them. In verse 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's doing a number of things in these two verses. First of all, he's reminded us that in Christ all, is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The knowledge of God's mystery is Christ. In other words, what we all need in, in, in terms foundationally, in terms of maturing in Christ, we need a deeper, more consistent, more accurate understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. I think it's very easy for all of us to uh, sometimes think, okay, I, I've, I've trusted in Jesus Christ. He died for me. He rose again. I got it. I get it, all right, I, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm starting to, to, to follow Jesus. And then we somehow think, well, I really want to get beyond that. I want to understand the mysteries of God's word in a deeper way. Nothing wrong with that. You should want to know God's word in a deeper way. But we somehow think, well, yeah, I understand Jesus died and rose again. I mean, all kids know that in Sunday school. They memorize John 3, 16. I, I'm beyond that. No, you're not. What Paul is saying is you never get beyond Jesus Christ died and rose again. The depths of that understanding, the, 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 the immense treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found in him. We, we, we're not going to advance beyond that really. We're simply going to grow deeper and hold on to the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us more deeply. will never exhaust the depth of understanding Christ, who he is, what he's done, how every part of my life must be organized around him. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing. The other interesting fact, sort of indicative, that Paul just states uh, bluntly is that being in community, and Paul says it like this, right, he, he, he goes on to say uh, that, that their hearts would be encouraged, beginning of verse 2, being knit together in love, and then there's sort of this purpose clause to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. What Paul seems to be saying is that one of the ways we simply learn to grow more deeply in who Christ is and what he's done for us is simply being in community with other believers,
Jesus Christ is so profound. It's amazing. He's full of inexhaustible depth that, that by ourselves personally, we, 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 we can't uh, enter into a complete understanding unless we are pursuing Christ with other people. Simply being in community allows you to be able to more understand who Christ is. This is one of the reasons we encourage you to be in a small group. It's one of the reasons we encourage you to find a group of believers you can connect with because in those interactions, the fullness of what Christ has done will be seen more clearly. And part of this, we, we don't like to say too much about this, but I mean, how are you going to ever more fully understand Jesus Christ and how he forgave you? Unless you're living in community so that you have to learn how to forgive somebody else. And how are you ever going to fully understand how Jesus could forgive you when you need to be forgiven because you've lived in community and you haven't been all that you should be? I will never forget sitting, I was a teenager sitting in a small group it's called a house church, my dad's church down in Miami, Florida. And there was a woman who was going through a horrific divorce. Her husband had been unfaithful. He had been, you know, you know out of control. We, we all knew that in the church. And she shared one night uh, in, in that small group. And again, I was 14, 15 years old. And she just shared through tears how angry she was at her husband and what he had done and his lack of repentance and the destruction of her family that she was witnessing and the pain that her kids were going through. And I remember she just blurted out, this is such a painful thing for me, but I know deep in my heart I need to forgive him. That rocked me a little bit. 15-year-old sign this adult woman sharing that out loud. And simply by being in that group, it made me think about who were the people in my life that I hadn't forgiven. So Paul just flat out says, the full understanding of Jesus Christ takes place in community. That's the first element of sort of this foundation of what it means to become mature in Jesus Christ. But there's a second element here that's so important, and that is this. Every part of our spiritual walk must be oriented around Jesus Christ. Every part of our spiritual work has to be oriented around him. We see this in verse 6 and 7, which in some sense is the key verses in the book, I believe. Therefore, Paul says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, we receive, how do we receive Jesus Christ? Initially, we receive him, right? We, we believe. We, we stop depending upon ourselves. We depend upon him. We receive this gift of grace that we didn't work for, we didn't earn. That's how we receive Jesus Christ. But Paul basically says, as you received him, continue to walk in him. You depend upon Jesus Christ initially, but you keep depending on him by grace. You keep receiving Jesus Christ in his grace. 
And that's the way you continue to grow in Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is not that we believe in Jesus Christ to enter into salvation, and then it's all up to us. I got to get this long checklist. I got to do this, 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 this. No. The way we walk with Christ and become like Christ, the way we mature in Christ, is we operate in the same sort of milieu of receiving grace in Jesus Christ over and over again, and that is how we continue to grow in Jesus Christ. Our entire spiritual walk with Jesus Christ is centered on Jesus plus nothing else. It does not move off from him. It's not like, oh man, he's, he, he saved me by his grace, and now it's up to me to become like Jesus Christ. No. Paul describes this orientation to Christ in four ways. Verse 7. First of all, he uses an agricultural metaphor. He says, you are rooted in him. In other words, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're rooted. You, you become engrafted into Jesus himself. He then uses a, uh, more of a, of, a, of a construction metaphor. You're built up in him. In other words, you are being built up in him. Everything revolves around Christ. Every way you, you mature in Christ, it's all related to him. He's the one building you up. And then it says you've been established in the faith. In other words, you've been secured in faith. It's through faith, not your efforts, that you become established, you become secure in Christ. And then he goes on to say, and just as you, just as you were taught, and then he says, lastly, abounding in thanksgiving. And this word abounding in thanksgiving, this phrase, abounding in thanksgiving, yes, please listen to what I'm saying here. We should all be thankful for all of the blessings that God gives us, for sure. But I think in context here, what Paul is driving at is that we ought to be abounding in thanksgiving for all the things that Jesus Christ has done in bringing us to himself and now beginning to mature us. That is the thanksgiving I think Paul has in mind. And I think it's very easy, I think, to forget about those blessings that we have in Christ. I think it's very easy if we pray for, that we do well on a test and we do well on a test. We pray that we get into med school. Okay, I got into med school. We pray for a promotion. We got a promotion. We pray for some sickness that we have or a loved one has. And we should thank God for all of those things. I'm not dismissing those. But what Paul is driving at, we ought to be over abounding in thankfulness simply because all that Jesus Christ has done to bring us to himself and all that he is continuing to do in our lives right now. If your heart of thankfulness is simply based on the, the, the answers to prayer for your material or physical or these kinds of things, if that's all your thankfulness is about, I think you're going to have a hard time being thankful in this life. Because God, in at least my experience, God sometimes doesn't answer the prayers I have for material and physical benefits for me and some of the people I love. He doesn't always do that. And so if my thanksgiving is based upon his present blessings of me in the material and physical world, and I forget about thanking him for all the other things he has done for us, you'll have a hard time being thankful. 
I would encourage you this afternoon, this week, is make a list of, of all the things, just from Colossians chapter 1 and 2, all of the blessings of Christ that are yours because of what Christ has done, what Christ is, who he is, what he's done. Make a list of all of those things. Things that you haven't worked for, things you haven't, uh, that, that, that he accomplished them, you didn't accomplish them. Make a list of those and then spend every day sort of reflecting on all that Christ has done for you. Before you get to the other thanksgivings or prayer requests you might have for some of the other things you're asking God to do in your material, physical world. I have to do this quite often. I have a list in my office of all of the blessings that Jesus Christ has given me for, for, for all of the things he's done for me. And I, I periodically have to, to look at that list again and remind myself this is who and what Christ has done for me. And it makes a huge difference. Some of you have tried to be helpful to me uh, of recent time. I, I, I made a reference to the Dallas Cowboys a while ago, a couple weeks ago, and one of you, this is their application of the sermon, which, you know, makes you want to quit, you know. The person said to me, listen, your problem, Tracy, is uh, you, you, you don't have a good enough idol. You need a better idol than the cowboys. And I'm like, that's the application you have of the sermon? He says, you pick a different team, pick a different sports team. Maybe that'll work for you. But I think the reality is we all tend to do that. We've all got the things we trust in, we hope in. It's easy to forget what Christ has already done for us. And if we reflected on that more consistently, more comprehensively, We'd probably be a lot more thankful than we are today with all of the unanswered prayers that we utter and are still waiting for. But we would be overwhelmed with the many, many blessings that Christ has, has procured for us and is procuring for us. We would be overwhelmed with those blessings that we would be far more thankful and far more ready to mature in Christ because we understand more fully what Jesus Christ has done. And that's the second element. There's a third element here. I'll just briefly talk about this because we'll get into this more next week. Do not add anything else to Christ. Look at verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul clearly warns believers and says, watch out for any ideas that would push you or prod you to add anything else to Christ in terms of your maturing in him. Now, when it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, I don't think it means you can't be a philosophy major. In college, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I, I don't think Paul is saying don't think about anything. Don't have a worldview. No, I, he would be fine with all of those pursuits. What he's talking about is, is that not to allow anything in your thinking to be added to Jesus for your spiritual walk. 
Notice what he says here, adding something according to human tradition. We'll see more of this next week. There was a sense in which some of the believers in Colossae were falling victims to some teaching that added human tradition to Jesus in terms of what you needed to become more like Christ. I think some of this uh, teaching was adding, saying you need to follow certain mosaic laws. You need to follow certain dietary restrictions. Certainly, it's also, we'll get to this more next week, but you need to follow a set of ascetic practices to grow in Christ. You need to fast a certain amount of time. You need to do this, do that. Don't eat this food. Don't do this. Celebrate this holiday, not that holiday. Paul is saying that's adding to Christ. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing. And then when he says, according to the elementary spirits of the world, we'll talk more about this next week, this probably refers to some kind of worship of angels or celestial spirits that was going on. You can see this in the rest of chapter 2. I think there's also a sense of being, Paul is concerned that some of the believers in Colossae are starting to rely on visions some kind of experiential visions that are, uh, th- that are replacing or adding to God's word and Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting if you read the commentaries, much ink has been spilled trying to specify the precise nature of the false teaching in Colossians. And I believe we can see some of those themes reverting back to the Mosaic law, asceticism, the worship of celestial beings, reliance on visions, What is interesting, though, is it's not completely precise, and I I don't think we we get pieces of it. And I wonder sometimes if Paul, you know, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as he instructed Paul to write this letter, that some of it may be indeterminate. In other words, this philosophy that was affecting the Colossian believers functions as a warning against all additions to Christ. In other words, it's not the specifics. Yes, the specifics are not good. But Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is reminding every believer that in every age, we are all going to face the same kind of temptation. We're all going to be tempted to add on to Jesus Christ, to say there's some experience or there's some other knowledge or there's some other entity or we've got to do this or that in order to progress. A thousand and one ways we can add to Christ in order to promote our spiritual growth. And in every age, the church will need to guard itself against anything that adds to Christ's work in our, in our spiritual walk. We'll hear about a little bit more of that next week. But now the fourth element. Paul's been saying this all along in these first two chapters, but he's saying we must define our lives by Jesus Christ. In in other words, this is in verses 9 through 15. We've got to believe first. Believing in Christ, trusting Christ is foundational to the imperatives that Paul will bring out in a couple weeks. We'll get to them in Colossians 3. We tend to invert it. We tend to do to to, to make ourselves right with God. We tend to do to to make progress. And, And Paul is saying, no, foundationally, it's believing first. It's understanding more clearly what Christ has done. It's the foundation of all new behavior. So notice what Paul says in verse 9. He says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Incredible statement. 
The fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. He is sufficient for our every need. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a man. He's not just a miracle worker. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus Christ is fully God. But then verse 10, it's even more amazing. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In other words, Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. But if we are in Christ, he dwells in us fully. The entire power of the, 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 the three-in-one God dwells in us by the Holy Spirit, is in us, that is the engine, so to speak. It's the power of God in us that enables us to live a different life. We have been filled with Christ. And we need to believe that. I know it's difficult. I, I know some of you are going to think this is a little bit esoteric. I know it's hard to wake up in the morning and actually believe that the fullness of God dwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of us wake up and we're barely human when we wake up. And you don't feel like, oh, God dwells in me fully. That's great. Some of you wake up and you're, you're not sure you're a believer in Jesus. <laughs> you're not sure you're human. I, I get that. But this is the reality. The full power of the Godhead dwells in Jesus, but then we dwell in him. All of the power we need to be different and to, to live more and mature in Christ is available to us because of what Christ has done and what God has done, and he is inside you. The full power by the Holy Spirit is there. The power of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Christ, connects you to that ascended Jesus who is at the right end of the Father with all authority and power. And he's in you. I believe that. Paul goes on to say that we have been free, we have been freed from the de facto power of sin in Christ. Notice verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, oh boy, we could send 15 sermons on this to give all of the different views. I'm going to give you mine. What Paul is clearly talking about is uh, he's referring, okay, he's, he's talking about spiritual circumcision. Physical circumcision was applied as a sign of the Abrahamic covenant and part of the Mosaic covenant that identified God's people, Israel, distinguished them from the other nations. It was a, a sign of that, those covenant promises. But the sign, physical sign of circumcision in it of itself did not have the power to change someone internally. Throughout the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament, and now here in Colossians 2, speaking of spiritual circumcision. Not made with human hands. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. What, what Paul is saying to us is that when we came to Christ, Jesus Christ... Has, has not only cleansed us from sin, he's given us a new heart, he's given us a, a new spirit, right? all of this promised in the Old Testament. It's a spiritual circumcision, and it was accomplished uh, by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And I think he's referring to the fact that Jesus Christ, in allowing his body to be broken, 
his very flesh to be broken on that Christ has now provided for us spiritual circumcision. What may be going on here is Paul is concerned that there are these false teachers in Colossae are starting to tell the Gentile believers, you've got to be physically circumcised or you can't work, make progress in Christ. Paul is saying, no, you've been spiritually circumcised. You've been changed by Christ through his death, through his resurrection. You've been given a new heart, a new spirit has been placed in you. You now have the power to mature in Christ. You now have the power to overcome sin. Sin no longer has de facto power over you because of what Christ has done. Again, we're speaking of spiritual circumcision here, which I think would lead you to believe that the baptism spoken of here is speaking of a spiritual baptism. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. In other words, he spiritually circumcised us. Again, that's what Christ did. But also, by identifying us as followers of Jesus Christ spiritually, we are now identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I know the commentators are divided, whether it's spirit baptism or water baptism, but whatever, in the sense of water baptism is a picture of that spirit baptism. So I don't think that changed the meaning of it, but what Paul is trying to say is that in Christ, those of us who are believers in Christ, we're identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been spiritually circumcised, and what Paul is driving at is sin no longer has de facto power over us. Now, we do still sin. We do. But not because sin has a de facto power of us. When we sin, we basically decide to go back to our old life, go back to the enslaving power of sin. But we do that as free people because we have freedom in Christ through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're identified with him. I think sometimes I know that Emotionally, you feel very alive to sin. I get it. I know that sometimes you feel like sin is, 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 is more true about you than, than, than what Paul's trying to say here. But this is something you need to believe. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what you do even when you fail in sin. Is it, do, are we going to believe that in Jesus Christ we've been spiritually circumcised, we, we have been cleansed from sin, the power of sin has been broken, we have a new heart, we have a new spirit, we are identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and therefore Jesus Christ, dwelling in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the full power of the Godhead living in us, has given us the power to live a different way even now. It's not how you feel. It's not even how, based on what you do. This is just a reality that has been accomplished by the cross of Jesus Christ. And the question for each of us is, will we believe that? Will we wake up tomorrow morning and reflect on that and believe it? Because that's foundational to then living out the imperatives we'll get to in a couple weeks. Of course, Paul goes on, verse 13 He says, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt 
that stood against us with its legal demands. When you come to Jesus Christ in faith, by grace, all of your past and present trespasses and all the ones you will commit tomorrow have all been forgiven through Jesus Christ. The record of debt that stood against us was set aside. It was nailed to the cross. And we need to believe that. That is not true, more true, when you have a good day spiritually. It's not less true if you have kind of a mediocre day spiritually. It's not more true if you resist temptation. It's not less true if you fall into sin. It's true because Jesus Christ accomplished it. And what you do or have done or how you feel has nothing really to do with this. I suspect that there are too many of us who walk around too much of the time and it's like we're trying to work off the debt we owed because of our sin rather than receiving fully the grace of Jesus Christ and the full forgiveness of sins and to recognize that everything I've ever done wrong and everything I ever will be done has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. We are fully forgiven. Colossians 2, 1 through 15 is a text about what Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. Our response to it is to believe it. Believe it. Not work for it. Not try to do something to earn it. No, it's just true. If you know Christ, this is true of you. This is what Christ has done. And there's no way we're going to mature in Christ unless we believe this more consistently, more comprehensively, more deeply. Because just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Let's pray. Lord, we need to believe these words. In spite of how we feel, in spite of our performance at any given time, we need to believe. Help us to believe more consistently, more comprehensively, more deeply. Because it's precisely understanding how we received Christ and those blessings you have poured out on us is the very foundation for how we need to walk and progress and mature in you, Lord. Help us, Lord, by your grace in Jesus' name, amen.